Welcome to AB3 Speaks with Monica Antakia, the podcast on academic business and branding, where we talk about planning, building, running, and growing a business as Black academic women who want to share their knowledge with the world. I'm Takia Nur Amin, academic success strategist, dance scholar, and lover of all things luxury. I'm Monica A. Coleman, professor, religious leader, and mom to an active growing kid. We have over 25 years combined experience of sharing our academic knowledge beyond the classroom, and we're telling you all the things we wish someone had told us. We will share our values-led ways of monetizing your advanced education in today's global marketplace and highlight Black academic women who are doing this with excellence and flair. So stay hydrated. Make sure you have something to write on and write with because class is in session. On the syllabus today is Natasha L. Robinson. We are so glad to have you with us, Natasha L. Robinson. The first thing we're going to do is just ask you to introduce yourself to us. Tell us about yourself and what you do. Greetings, everyone. Hi, how are you? I am Natasha Robinson, the one and only. I am a Black woman. I am an entrepreneur. I am a mommy, a friend, a daughter, a sister, all the things. In my latest iteration of life, I am the creator and curator of Legalese Please, which is a platform that is designed to decode, to demystify, and to uh, deconstruct legal language. So in short, we build you up by breaking it down, which the it are all the systems, all of the barriers, all of the boundaries that prevent non-legal persons from understanding legal language. And so that is what uh, we do. And when I say we, I really mean me. Uh, It could be anywhere from seminars to retreats to one-on-one consultations to, you know, you name it. I have... uh, um, uh, episodes that are online where I will pick a particular and relevant topic. I will discuss that with people. And then if they want to go further, of course, they can always meet with me to discuss my services. So that's what I do. Thank you again so much for being here. I'm really excited to, to, to have you. I know Monica's excited that you're here with us. Let's dig a little deeper. And we would just ask that you can Could you talk to our audience about your academic training, your academic journey? You know, what was your education, your training and specialty so that we understand kind of that piece of your story? So I'm glad you asked me that uh, because two things. One is that generally speaking, Black women don't get to talk too much about this. We usually talk about it when we're being interviewed for something, Uh, but very rarely do we say, well, let me run it down. So I am happy to tell you about all the good things that that make up me. Uh, The second thing is that for this year, my hashtag is no small flexes. So I am going to be very expansive, uh, but very uh, um, deliberate in saying what my academic educational background is. So I started off with uh, an earned Bachelor of Arts degree from the University of Iowa. My major was English and my minor was Spanish. I majored in English because I wanted to make sure, even though I knew I was going to law school, 
If in the event it did not work, I still had a broad enough major that I could have transferable skills. I could still speak. I could still write. I could still read. Uh, so after I left uh, University of Iowa, I then and got I then got my law degree, uh, which is a juris doctor from the University of Wisconsin Law School. And from there, I studied for the Illinois bar exam. Uh, that was three days. One day separate apart was a multi-state ethics portion, where it's basically like if someone gives you money. Uh, as a lawyer and you spend it, is that ethical? It's like, no, of course not. But for some reason, people have to sit and think about, is that the right thing to do? Not me. So I passed that. And then I did the two-day bar exam. The first day was answering 200 multiple choice questions. And then the second day was out of 30 essay questions, you had to pick 17, 15 to 17, and then answer each one in 30 minutes. Uh, so that was bar exam. I passed uh, one time for your holy man. And then after that, I went to work with the law office of the Cook County Public Defender. Uh, actually, tomorrow would have been my anniversary, March 13th, uh, 2000 is when I started. So I worked there for 12 and a half years. While I was there, there were two things that I noticed uh, that were trends. The first trend was that my clients were getting younger and younger in age but they were being charged with more adult offenses. Uh, and so at that time, the prosecution had the discretion to be able to upgrade a juvenile to an adult charge if it was serious enough. The second uh, trend that I saw was that for the adults that I represented, felonies uh, mostly, is that when I would meet with them in my office or I would go to Cook County Jail and I would review for them their statement, their alleged confession. The majority of them could not read it back to me. They could not explain it to me. They knew, you know, what we know in, in, in TV shows, you have a right to remain silent, anything you say can and will be. Everyone knows that, which comes out of a language of uh, Miranda, which is a Supreme Court case. But a lot of people cannot explain what that means and what that means for them. And so I felt that if I left the courtroom and went into the classroom, then I would be able to offset the number of people who go into the criminal justice system so that if they would go into it, they would do it as an attorney, a judge, a probation officer, instead of just as a victim, a witness, or a defendant. So in order for me to do that, I went back to school. I went to Chicago State University and I got my master's of arts in English while I was working full time. And then while I was working and getting my degree, I learned that there was a position to teach pre-law with Chicago Public Schools. I went to interview, I got the job on the same day, and then they told me it would be a year wait because they did not have all of the accreditation. So come back in a year. I came back in a year. The people who hired me were not the people that were still there. They had been fired. So I had to convince the new principal, which is Asura, that I deserve to be there even though I was not her hire. And that is how I went with Chicago Public Schools, Southside, Westside for six years. And then I went to Roosevelt University. I taught there for four years. And then all of that is what led me here with you all to uh, Legalese Please.
Thank you for sharing that. I learned some things about you that I did not know, although it all is congruent with what I do know about you. (laughs) And so um, thank you for sharing that. And you are getting ready to tell us, but tell us a bit about your business. So my business, I feel is in some respects a business And I feel it to be a calling. And the reason why I say I feel like it is a calling is because if it was just a business for me, I would not be doing it. I've tried to avoid entrepreneurship for a very long time. So to be able to be out here in these streets and to try and create and magnify the business is very new for me. But when I was on uh, social media, there will be different cases and topics that people will come on my side of the internet and ask me different questions. Hey, Natasha, what do you think about this case? Or, hey, you know, I got a cousin, Bobo, and he got to go to court. And what do you think would be the best thing for him? And I'm like, Bobo needs an attorney because I don't do that anymore. And so as I was getting and gleaning all of these things, I started to realize that people really look to me for reliable legal information and accessible legal information. And most of the times when we try to consider legal information, it is never because it's a good time. It is never a good time because you're going through a divorce, you're trying to get custody of your child, you're trying to write a will, you're trying to be power of attorney. And so I wanted to change that paradigm so that it would be easy for me to share information with people that felt they were in a space where they were not shamed because they did not know. And so in addition to that, I was the accessible person, the person that would be in line for chicken dinner and people be like, well, let me just take a couple of minutes to ask you. And then 45 minutes later, their problem is solved, but my chicken is cold and the kitchen is closed. So I was like, well, you know what? Let me go ahead and figure out how I can do this. And so one night I went to sleep and I am big on ancestral memory and conversation. And there was a memory that came to me of a church woman. Her name was Grandma Birdie. She is now an ancestor. And she would always ask me any legal question that came to mind, whether I practiced it, whether I did it. And she was one of the few that I said, she could ask me anything. And so whenever I would answer her question, she would say to me, there go legalese. And that became her name for me. And I did not remember that that memory from 15 years ago until I started this business. So I changed, I made legalese, but legalese is usually a type of conversation, a a, a linguistic tool, a, a language where legal professionals can just say this in shorthand and you know what it is. In the same way business persons do it, in the same way doctors do it, educators, you name it. And so I changed the S and E's to a Z because I wanted to continue my zealous representation and providing of information. And I wanted it to be a kind of ease where persons could be very transparent and vulnerable in the areas that were personable to them, but that they trusted me. And they know that they could hold those confidences with me. I wouldn't judge them. I wouldn't shame them. And I would provide the best type of information that they could use that is personalized for them. And so that is how we got started. I really appreciate your willingness to be 
so open and transparent about the kind of spiritual resonance that you're walking into your business with. So let's 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 expand on that a little bit. What are the values that drive your business? Uh, Monica and I are very um, serious and consistent. Um, at least we hope to be in our conversation around encouraging values-led, values-based businesses in the work that we do in the work here on the podcast. So what are the values that really undergird and drive your business? The first I would say is competency. Because me walking into a courtroom makes me no competent than walking into a garage makes me a car. There are many people who are out here who say they know all the legal loopholes and all this type of stuff, and they don't know nothing. And even if they do know something, they don't know how to talk to people. So I feel that competency is one value where I am constantly reading and and watching uh, what the law has to say now. What are the different precedents that stand? How do they get overruled? So, for instance, with the case of Dobbs versus Jackson, which overruled Roe v. Wade, what is the language that is being used by the Supreme Court? What are the ways in which they tip their hand? What did they overrule? What did they uphold? How does that affect the everyday person? And I'm big on language. So when people are saying, well, you know, uh, uh, they they just ruled on Roe v. Wade. No, they didn't. They ruled on Dobbs v. Jackson, which overruled. Roe v. Wade. And I do it with that type of loving specificity because I don't want to shame the people, but there's legal uh, uh, um, outcomes with the language that you use. You have to be very careful. So competency is one. Communication is another. One of the biggest gripes that people have with attorneys is communication or lack thereof, where they want to know, well, what is going on? And what does this mean? And how does this help me? And I have been in too many criminal courtrooms and cases where there is language, but there's no communication. And people are talking over the people who are most affected by what comes down from the judge or what comes across from the prosecution or defense. So communication is important to me. I would also say uh, confidentiality. I'm not trying to alliterate, but here we are. Uh, uh, Confidentiality is important to me. Uh, because it takes a lot for a person to say, I am facing this legally and I need some help. And uh, we all have been vulnerable in that way at some point. If we're not, I'd say keep living like my grandma used to say. Um, and so I feel like what is being brought to me, I am not sharing with other people. I'm not publicizing it. I'm not saying that if the client's name is Wayne, I'm going to go on social media and say, I want to tell you all a story uh, and I'm going to change the name to pain. That is not confidentiality. Uh, Confidentiality is saying, I trust that of all the sources you could go to, you came here. And so I would treat you the way I want to be treated. I would treat you in the way of a loved one. And I also know that it's not always easy to find and establish relationships uh, with those who are in the legal sector. So those would be the three, competency, uh, uh, I said competency, I said confidentiality, and I said something else that starts with the C. You said communication. 
And you can, you. you can alliterate whenever you want to, because clearly that's just the way it comes out, whether you're it, trying it, it, just, it or not. It just out like that. Thank you. <laughs> well, earlier you said that you were not trying to be an entrepreneur, that you didn't want to be an entrepreneur, and yet you are an entrepreneur. So can you tell us, you know, did you feel like you chose this business, that this was a natural path that you were on, or maybe that the business chose you? Um, and clearly you are a very talented person and can do many things. So why this business? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I want to say I chose it and it chose me. I felt like it grew out of uh, necessity, alignment, and timing. Um, when this business first started to get some vitality, it was around the pandemic. When we had the biological front, we had the racial front, everyone was going through shelter in place. And I was still a professor uh, at the time. And when administration said to us, when, when uh, Omicron became prevalent, they said, so you still have to be in person and teach. Uh, I am a person that lives with a pre-existing condition. And at that time, I had a four-year-old. So those two things meant that every time I would go out, I would bring a risk back into the house. And so I remember um, being in a department meeting and my department chair at that time, another soror, I'm telling you, Deltas keep helping me. Uh, they were sitting up in the, the meeting and she was telling us what administration said. This was not her choice, but this was the choice she had to share uh, about us coming back, even though the virus is still going on. And so she asked, were there any questions? And aside from she and I, we were the only person uh, of, of Melaton who were in the place. Everybody else was, you know, uh, Melaton challenged. So they would sit there and they was asking us, uh, well, what do you, you know, any questions? And no one would say anything. And so I raised my virtual hand because we're still online. And I said, where is the line for people who ain't doing it? That's that. Where is there a breakout room for that? Are we under new business? What is that? And so she was like, oh my gosh, Natasha, really? And so what ended up happening was that I learned that I could qualify for a hardship. This hardship had not been publicized. I didn't know anything about it. And so I did what was needed to do. And one of the things that was needed to do was me write a letter. And I was like, I feel like this is Briar Rabbit being thrown into the Briar, I mean, a uh, uh, Briar Rabbit thrown into the You want me to write about why I should be somewhere? So by the time I finished, they was like, child, uh, so you get everything. Um, and so what I did was in my request, uh, I would say, let's do alternating weeks. And one of the administrators went ahead of me, not behind my back, but went ahead of me. And they requested that I be off the entire semester uh, and that I could teach from home. And so that's what I did. And so the day that I asked that question, is the day that I started writing my resignation letter in my head, because that was when I felt the ancestors saying to me, it's time. Everything that you have put over here, now you're going to put into yourself. You have worked for institutions. You are an institution. 
These are the things that we are going to tell you. You're going to get the name, then you're going to get the LLC, and then you're going to do this. And then you're going to meet people who are going to help you along your way. Insert you, Dr. Monica, Dr. Takia. I didn't even know you existed. Well, I knew Dr. Monica existed, but I had never met you, Sora. So in, in all of that, there were just these people that as you're walking through this journey, these people would just kind of pop up and say, hey, how you doing? And blah, 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 blah. And so I just felt like it was such a divine time for me to do something I was already doing. My fear has been and is always the monetization of it because my dream doesn't just affect me. It affects my six-year-old. And so that is where my anxiety lies is me continuing to provide for her and for myself. While at the same time knowing I am the first mirror she sees every day. So what she sees in me, she knows she is capable of doing and she could take and extend that far past what her mama is doing. So that's what keeps me uh, uh, sane. I just want to follow up a little bit with what you have been so generous to share with us um, because I know you're a parent and I know how much being a mom matters to you. Um, and I'm sure that many of our listeners are also parenting and maybe have been a little bit on the fence about moving over into the entrepreneurial journey because of those commitments. Um, many of our listeners are also caregivers that might be taking care of elder parents or even spouses or siblings. You know, a lot of us have commitments in our lives that sometimes keep us from stepping fully out on this journey. And so I want you to just talk to us a little bit about some of those nuts and bolts in your exit plan. What were um, some of those core pieces you absolutely had to have in place before you felt at least comfortable enough to move and have the success that we see you having now? What were some of those key pieces of your exit plan? Because listening to you, you didn't just wake up one day and jump out tomorrow. Right. So what were some of those core steps that you took? Well, one core step I will definitely say is trusting in community. There is no way that I would be able to do what I do without having a community of people uh, that would be uh, not just waiting to be asked, but filling a need before it becomes one. So when the very first time I was on Court TV, I was freaking out because that was also the same day I was launching Legalese Please officially and, and full time. And I was trying to figure out, I said, now there is no way that Grace could be on national television. That's just that I'll never be asked back. And she could do it, but that's not necessarily the most appropriate thing. And so I was expressing my frustration with my girlfriends. And between them, they were saying, okay, so I can keep her this night and then I will drive her over to such and such as house and they will be able to keep her and I'll be able to work from home and I'll have the TV on so she can see you. I mean, it was that type of community that I feel uh, has sustained me. They have been the ones that have been behind the scenes and they know how much motherhood means to me and they know how I feel about grace. And so what it took was their belief in me and providing 
the resources. Uh, another part of my exit plan is I am not a risk taker. I I don't I would not out of all the synonyms that I would put on my name I would not say risk taker. Now at the same time when I do take risks they always work out. When I left uh, the public defender's office and my salary got dropped by fifty thousand dollars to teach at Chicago Public Schools, that was a risk worth taking. Even some of my own people was like, "Are you? Are you okay?" Child, I'm fine. I just feel it in my bones. I can't. I can't explain it to you. I just know this is the move I need to meet. Uh, I need to make. When I left Chicago Public Schools, where I had a home but I didn't have a job, then you know there were different people be like, "Wait a minute, you're pregnant. How can you do that?" Because I was first time mom at 43. So how is that going to work itself out? I said, Child, I, "Look, it's not not going to work out. It's going to work out because it has to work out." Uh, and so then when I left. Uh, uh, higher education to do what I'm doing now with entrepreneur, that was just, again, um, it wasn't because I had uh, a safety plan in terms of savings. I did not because I spent the savings I had to get myself back into this home after ending the relationship with my daughter's father. Um, So it was just kind of like a, okay, well, let's go. Because I felt that what is in me can still be stirred up in a way that if I have to go back to a brick and mortar institution, I can because I keep that expertise and I keep continuing to learn. And in the fall, actually, I will be an adjunct at the same place uh, where I left. So I would also say part of my exit plan is to leave well. Uh, which is, you know, don't don't burn a bridge if you don't have to. Uh, you just keep that in your back pocket. You keep it in your tool belt. And then those same relationships will still, you know, when you forge them over the course of time, you can go back if you choose. And this time negotiate the difference between the day of your departure and the day of your return. So when I went back, I was like, oh, so since August, a little couple things have changed. You know, your girl has been on television. Your girl has been doing this. And so what I was able to do was instead of negotiating an entire semester work of, of work, I negotiated half of the semester for the same pay. So I felt that that was a good old homework assignment that I had completed that I thank my coaches for because I would not have had the nerve, the chutzpah, the conviction, the belief in my worth to have those things. You know, you just said so much just now. I mean, partly about, you know, how you can always keep a foot in the academy, right? Keep a toe in, you can go in and out, right? Because no one can take your knowledge from you. And that's something, you know, I know my mama told me, my grandma told me, right? Something that no one can take from you. You know, you are one of the first people we worked with in academic business and branding. And so we wanted to ask you a bit about your experience with this and how you think it was helpful for you as you moved into legalese please full-time so one of the first things that you know i a lot of people don't talk about but what i will talk about first is the aesthetics looking at the people who were in the boot camp with me they look like me 
And so what happened was that I felt at home because while I know that Blackness is not a monolith, we were all there for the same or similar purposes. And so that created a community to be led by, by you all. My thing is I could be in a class all day long, but if you ain't where I'm trying to go or at least on the path, I don't have nothing to say to you. So I'm sitting there and listening and you all are talking. Of course, you know, I'm still a researcher. I was able to look at things up on the internet and I was like, oh, okay, I see what's going on. So then doing that and then us being able to have, uh, it wasn't, I won't call it a call and response. I would call it a discussion. But the church girl in me, the preacher's daughter, will call it a call and response where you all would say something and then we would come back with, okay, well, what about this? And then you all would say it. And then we addressed whether it was in the curriculum or not, we were able to address the totality of who we are. So there were times where it would go into spirituality without trying to engage in some type of discipleship call. So it was organic in that. Uh, what I loved and what I really need to find my access code so I can go back is to watch the different episodes because some questions I didn't have then I have now. And so being able to access that recorded information, to be able to be in community, to be able to have you all provide resources to us that uh, you're like, look, these are vetted, these are tried and true. Um, and, 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 you know, they say in church, you know, uh, you, you got to try some things sometimes. And so I was like, well, if they tried them, I, I found that to be true. I ain't even got to try it. I would just call these people and ask them because they, they have already been vetted. They've already been confirmed. And I appreciate, lastly, the ability for all of us to come in our authentic selves. It is not automatic to create community uh, juxtaposed with technology. That is not automatic. Some things you have to be in person to get the full effect. But because we were on all online, you all were able to establish that relationship, that professionalism, and that we're here for you that, that superseded all of the physical barriers and boundaries and allowed us to be community in real time. So that's what I love. You get us over here wiping our eyes a little bit. <laughs> I mean, it's it, thank you so much for sharing. And we're so glad that you've gotten so much out of it because we feel very invested in you and the work that you're doing. We Every time we see you on court TV, we're like, there goes our Natasha. Like, like we don't know how much we really have to do with it. But we, we, are, we are your cheerleaders <laughs> from over here and um, very much are excited to see you win. So tell people who are the audience, tell people who are listening where they can find you to learn more about your business and your offerings. So I am anywhere where internet access is, is prevalent. So I'm on all of the webs. And that doesn't mean that I visit all these spaces because one of my good coaches told me, pick two spots and just, you know, do that. And so this is kind of me telling the answer on my homework in front of my teachers that like, yeah, so afterwards, uh, pick two spots. But for right now, I am on Instagram, uh, Legalese Please, with a Z, uh, in Legalese, and then there is a dash. 
I am on Facebook. Facebook and Instagram are the two main ways that you can reach me. On Facebook, it's Legalese Please LLC. And then I also have a YouTube channel, which the reason why I'm over there is because that uploads the episodes that I have so people can share them, people can watch them, they can discuss them, they can comment on them. Uh, which I have to work on my ego because every once in a while a comment comes on and I'm like, I hear what you're saying, but you're wrong. Uh, so uh, it gives them opportunity, you know, to to watch in their own time. Because usually when I do a Legalese Please episode, it is about 45 minutes to an hour because I really want to unpack a topic. Uh, so those are the three areas, uh, I should say three locations where you can locate me. If you want to email me directly, it is legalesepleased at gmail.com. So that is L-E-G-A-L-E-A-Z as in zebra, E-P-L-E-A-S-E at gmail.com. I am the only person that looks at my emails. I told you earlier, confidentiality is a huge tenant and a value of mine. And so what you share with me, I will not share with anyone else. Uh, I feel like those disclaimers that say, I will not sell your information to a third party, third, fourth, fifth, tenth, it's not going anywhere. So those are the places where you can find me. Excellent. And we will link to all of these places in our show notes. Well, thank you so much for being with us here for just these moments when we can share with the audience about your Blackademic entrepreneurial business. Thank you for having me. And you know, I love you all both dearly. So anytime you want me back, I'm right here. Thank you for joining us for this episode of AB3 Speaks with Monica and Takia. We do this podcast because we want to serve and support Black academic women's entrepreneurial dreams. So subscribe and leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. We read every one and this will help others to find the show. If you're looking to take the next step in your career, go to blackademicbraintrust.com where you can join our amazing community and get our free resource on the 12 questions you should ask yourself before becoming a Black academic entrepreneur. Our mission is to nurture your entrepreneurial dreams within and beyond the academy and build a business that both sustains and offers you freedom. We look forward to you finding and joining us at blackademicbraintrust.com. Because we want you to win. Thank you.